What's up, folks? Welcome to another edition of Matt Sports House. I'm your host, Matthew Anderson, alongside our analyst, Sterling Harris. Sterling, say what's up to the people. Yo, what's good? What's good? Yo, we got a lot to talk about. Everything from the college football national championship preview to the playoff games happening this weekend. The shakeup of the roster at the University of South Carolina. So without further, so like I said, we got a lot to talk about. So without further ado, welcome to my sports house. So much to talk about. Let's get started in the NFL playoffs. We'll start off with the Colts versus the Bills. Uh, That game, I thought the Colts, the final score of the game was 24-27 with the Bills taking the win, and they will advance. I thought the Colts played really well. Um, What were your thoughts on the game? Um, They did play a really solid game, but at the end of the day, um, you know, points win games. And the Colts, even though they drove, and I think they had 450 yards, uh, of passing or, or just 450 yards total with zero turnovers. When they got in the red zone, they didn't capitalize um, before the, you know, before halftime, it was a crucial sequence where the coach are driving, they're humming. Um, and then on third and goal, they, you know, they do a, a shovel pass inexplicably. Um, <laughs> and then after that, uh, they just, you know, Phil Rivers just misses Michael Pittman in the corner end zone, which could have really changed the tide of the game. Um, it, it went from the coach going up, you know, possibly 17 to seven, to the Bills responding and driving down the field and Josh Allen putting together, you know, a great drive and going up 14-10 going into the half. So um, they played a really good game, but Buffalo and red zone defense and and goal-to-go defense really stepped up. And uh, that offense started clicking in early in the second half. I think one thing, well, first of all, for some stats, Josh Allen went 26 for 35 for 324 yards and two touchdowns while you have Stefan Diggs, who has six receptions, 128 yards, and one touchdown. Do you think Josh Allen's played well enough this year to get the league MVP? I do not. I do not believe Josh Allen uh, will or deserves league MVP this year. Um, I think that belongs to the man in Green Bay. Okay. Uh, um, just because Josh Allen and this Bills team. Again, like MVP is a tricky award because you, you always want to reward a guy that's playing great. But I also got to remember what a guy is working with, you know, surrounding him, which is why I was like, why well, I have a guy like Russell Wilson in my MVP, you know, every year, you know, just about because of stuff that's surrounded, you know, by him. Like Aaron Rodgers has still really just Devontae Adams um, surrounding him with that offense. And he kind of makes everything else work as it goes. And, you know, he's very careful with the football and has Green Bay with the number one seed in the NFC. Um, Josh Allen played well, but the, but the Buffalo front office, you know, Maybe Buffalo's front office should get, you know, maybe the executives of the year because they went out and got Stephon Diggs. They, uh, you know, earlier before they signed Cole Beasley, um, they found Dawson Knox from somewhere. <laughs> and, you know, they've been really effective in the draft the last couple of years, you know, getting Ed Oliver to help beef up that D-line with Addison and um, and even on offense, um, having a solid offensive line to help complement it. So, 
you know, Alex played well, but I think the executives, you know, have done more to help surround him with the pieces to be successful, which isn't his fault, but I think Rodgers deserves the MVP um, just because of what he has around him. So I know the city of Buffalo has hated that, obviously, like, like everybody else, the COVID thing, because they really would have been celebrating this year. You saw that they were allowed to have some fans there, but like that city has been waiting for this type of run for a long time here. So it's nice to see them advance. We're going to move to the game on that came on after that with the Rams versus the Seahawks. The Rams got the win 30 to 20 over Seattle game surprised me. Jalen, I would, I kind of want to say Jalen Ramsey won that battle between him and DK DK had a couple drops and you saw him get frustrated on the sideline there. You said something a long time ago that really stood out to me this game. It seems like they didn't really want to let Russell Wilson kind of ball like Patrick Mahomes kind of gets the ball out in his games. What, what are your perspective of what happened during that game? Um, it's just, it's one of those games that, you know, you look at the Rams and, you know, the Seahawks and Rams are division rivals. So those games are always going to be tough because those teams in those divisions, when they're, you know, they always build their teams to beat, to win their division. You're always building your team to beat the team that you need to win to get home field in the first place. And of course, home field for Seattle was non-existent because there wasn't any fans there. Um, so now it just comes down to, you know, the Rams have the number one defense in the league. They have the best defensive player of our generation, maybe of all time, or they have two of them. Yeah. They got Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, um, <laughs> you know, both in a system that's allowed them to maximize their talents. And with Seattle, the, the main thing that th- their whole issue was they couldn't move anybody up front. Like, you know, a defensive line, like the Rams with, they have the two backups, like I think 63 and like 91 or whatever, that's behind Donald and Brockers and Leonard Floyd and, you know, that old line was getting pummeled, pummeled the whole game. And, you know, I don't, know, I don't care how great your QB is. Like, Russell Wilson's great, but when he's on his back four times in the first six plays, you kind of know what's going to happen. And um, even with the Rams situation at quarterback, uh, they leaned on that defense. And as long as the quarterbacks didn't make any terrible decisions, you know, with golf coming in have, with a broken thumb, as long as he didn't turn the ball over, they was going to be fine. So I'm not surprised in the outcome. Uh is I think Seattle, their biggest issue is one that offensive line has not been great since they won the Super Bowl, um, which people forget was kind of the staple along with the Legion of Boom was their old line and, and their and their running game was, you know, killing people. And Wilson would make a play here and there to, you know, go up. But I think the Seattle front office has gotten so used to Russell Wilson kind of turning apples into orange juice. I mean, yeah. I mean apples into apple juice and oranges into orange juice for so long with the offense and, and what he has surrounding him that in their cap hit by his contract, you know, which isn't his fault. I mean, take your money, but they are cap hit by his contract that they can't get enough on offense, you know, to overcome everything, especially getting the offensive line that could be serviceable for him. So how much do you think if Josh Gordon would have been able to go, how much do you think he could impact this game? This game, absolutely zero, zero percent. Because up front, it's, I mean, Josh Gordon could have been running routes, but what does it mean if, if Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd – I'm not Leonard Floyd. Uh, yeah, Leonard Floyd. Yeah. Aaron, I mean, what's my name? Is it Leonard Floyd? It's Leonard Floyd. Georgia? You talking about yeah, – Yeah, yeah. Aaron Donald, Leonard Floyd, and um, Brockers, they're still in his face, you know, knock him on his back. Josh Gordon could have ran a million routes. None of the balls would have made it to him, so – Seems like Aaron Donald had a little problem with his core towards the end of the game, but hopefully he'll be healed up. I think Russell just fell on him in it. Like, like Russell's a heavy. Russell's a big dude. <laughs> yeah, people forget how big Russell Wilson is. He fell on Aaron Donald's rib. He's like, oh, God, this boy's big. <laughs> what uh, is this? Yeah, hey, and you know, the Ramsey matchup, it was just like, 
Oh, what's up? Did you get the feel that Ramsey won that matchup against DK? Oh, yeah, he always wins that matchup. DK DK is, uh, you know, I kind of <laughs> – I was watching the game, and I saw DK when he was getting upset, and I was like, he looks like the guy from 300, the bad guy, Xerxes. The, <laughs> you know, all the piercings on his face and everything. Yeah. But, I mean, DK, you know, there's a lot of noise this year about him being a possible top five receiver, and I always shut it down because I hadn't seen DK beat, you know, a number one corner – probably since I've watched him play. Um, and even in this game, he had two touchdowns, but there were uh, two busted plays. Like, I mean, the first one was just Russell Wilson making the play, getting outside the pocket. And the second one was just a quarters beater that, like, DK wasn't – there's was no way he was dropping that pass. But, um, yeah, Ramsey's the best corner in the league. And <laughs> and he, and if DK wants to be considered a top five receiver, he's going to have to, you know, win some more of those shares. But I think Seattle might be – Using him wrong actually in a way. So I was about to change the subject, but you you have to expand on that. Why do you think <laughs> that they're using him wrong? Well, I mean, they got him. They want DK to be a number one. I, I think he can be a number one, maybe type of guy, but I don't think he's really number one. And I don't think he's an outside receiver, you know, either. You know, DK ran really fast in the forty at the combine. I get that he's huge, and you know, you you think yeah, you could put that on outside, but I don't think he has the hip torque. To, to run those outside type routes where you can, you know, break side to side. I think the best way to use DK might just be on crossers and just in breaking routes where you can just kind of use the speed to run away from people because on the outside, he has, you know, sink his hips to try to, you know, break off in the transition. I don't think he has that type of mobility um, there to kind of run those outbreaking routes. And the thing that was kind of lost is Doug Baldwin, even though he hasn't played this all year, Doug Baldwin was a legit outside receiver. It was really Russell's security blanket out there. And trying to like makeshift DK into that that guy outside might not be his best role if you put him in a slot and have him be actually just a huge slot guy that runs across people's faces and runs away from them that might be the way to use him best so you saw I think it was early in the game I think that him and Russ didn't connect but he just kind of ran by Jalen Ramsey and you just saw him use that speed to the advantage so maybe that could be an option for them moving forward we're going to go ahead and move here to the Buccaneers-Washington game. Tom Brady was able to get the job done with the final score of 31-23. I will say Washington did not play bad. Um, I'm hearing that Alex Smith is going to have to consider whether he wants to continue playing because, you know, with all the history that he has, he said he has to look, think about his family and stuff. Leonard Fournette did not play bad in this game. Going had 19 carries for 93 yards and a touchdown. It seems like he kind of finished the game off for them. Mike Evans had six receptions for 119 yards. Uh, what were your thoughts on this game? Uh, went the way it didn't go the way I thought it was gonna go, but I knew it was gonna be a good game. This is one of my games um, that I had was I think heavily slept on <laughs> going into. It. I think it was gonna write this game off, but I knew it was gonna be um, a really tough one for the Bucks to uh, get. Um, just considering that I knew Washington and how they've been built this year, they wasn't gonna just go out there and roll over um, and play. They was gonna fight. And Taylor Heineke played you know, about as good as a game as a four-string QB could, you know, I guess come in and play in the playoffs. Did he get hurt there for a second, too? And they had to go he, he, he hurt his shoulder when he, uh, you know, showed some magic and went for that touchdown run, um, yeah. and he extended for the goal line. But um, I think just in this game, we can kind of see why the Bucks isn't a Super Bowl team yet. Like, in terms of there's plays that's there that, if you're a Super Bowl team, you, you're going to make that play. Like, I think Godwin had a drop he should have had or um, miscommunication between Brady and, and Evans. And the offensive line still doesn't seem to be as – even though Brady got sacked, I think, only twice or three times, he got hit a lot. 
And going against those guys, I think they go. To, they, I think they go to Green Bay um, next week, and they're going to get after Brady. And they remember that first game where Tampa Bay rolled all over them. But that's going to be a tough game for them, you know, up front, off offensively, and then defensively. Um, I don't know if they can make enough stops to beat them. But even then, in this game with Washington, I think um, Heineke played great as he could, but. I think Washington left some plays on the field as well. And some of their play calling throughout the game was, you know, iffy. <laughs> yeah. so. Hey, and it also is nice to see Antonio Brown get back on the, uh, get back in the yeah. end zone. When I saw it, I was like, oh man, it almost kind of reminded me of like when I saw Des Bryant first get back in the end zone for the Ravens. It's like, God, bro, it's been a long time, but. Well, it was crazy because like, the, I think the touchdown you scored, like Washington ran this crazy two invert defense. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like me and my friend are watching, you were like, what are they doing? <laughs> like, why yeah. are you going to invert there? It just made no sense. But uh I mean, here, give it to him. Yeah. So we'll see if he can they continue to uh win and continue going into playoffs. We're gonna move here to today's game. First, we gotta talk about is the Ravens versus the Titans. I kind of expected the Titans get the win. The final score was 20 to 13. But the Raven, Lamar Jackson, was able to get his first playoff win, and they decided they were not shaking hands with the Titans after the game. <laughs> Seems like Derrick Henry was a little bit frustrated on the sideline. Why do you think he was so frustrated? But did you expect the Ravens to win the game or the Titans win the game? You said I, I think I think I had picked the I think I had picked the Titans. I expected the Titans to win this game, and I was like, okay, Lamar Jackson. And I think this game kind of started off rough for him too. And the Titans' good defense was just so aggressive. But yeah. I picked – and then just a little side note here, I think that A.J. Brown was a heck of a pickup for the Titans. Oh, yeah. I think that their their whole player personnel staff, between getting Ryan Tannehill before he was this Ryan Tannehill that we all see today, was a really great pickup. Uh, obviously got Malcolm Butler and company. But, yeah, so uh, that's what I thought. But what did you think about the game? Uh, I feel like um, – well, when I picked the Ravens to win this game, so yeah. I'm going to myself back for that one. But also, um, you asked about Derrick Henry. And the answer is simple, Calais Campbell happened. And I know it's not going to pop up in the stat sheet with tackles, TFLs, none of that stuff. But Calais Campbell's presence, and I think in, I don't want to say Ngakwe didn't play that last game, but another um, another crucial Raven defensive lineman didn't play that Week 11 game. But it all starts up front with Tennessee and Derrick Henry. Like Derrick Henry, yes, he's an amazing running back, and yes, he you know if he gets a if he gets a scene because you know. Poppy for 40, 50, 60, 70, doesn't matter. But the Ravens D-line, you know, when they traded for Calais Campbell, it was because of this team and for this game, you know, specifically for a guy that can hold his gap and, and push guys backwards and, and kind of stifle the running lanes where Derrick Henry could get through. That's why he's so frustrated. It's not that, he, you know, his ability was bad. It's just that the offensive line inability to move anybody was – you know, you can't find anywhere to go. And he's not a guy that's going to get you going east-west. He has to get north-south to, you know, kill you. So, Yeah, and he had, he has chief struggle today having 18 carries for 40 yards. It was nice to see Lamar Jackson get out in the runs. And it's just crazy to watch him go from that, like, I'm getting there to I'm gone. And even to sometimes corners and safeties can't bring him down. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, I, I was kind of sick of, like, one of the commentators. I ain't going to say his name, but one of the commentators today wanted to nitpick every single throw the man had. But when he hits Hollywood Brown on a beautiful fade, you know, slot. Oh, it was a nice fade. It was he, nice. And he, then he hits um, old boy, I think, Ricard on, on a sidearm throw. He has nothing to say about it. But, I mean, for being Lamar Jackson runs the football and is effective with it. And then it's, it's an uproar. But, yeah, Lamar Jackson just took what the defense gave him. Um, 
he came out, he it went the way I thought it would. I thought he was gonna struggle early just because he had to get the 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 noise out of his head, I think, for the first couple just settled down. But um the but the chess match between um, you know, Arthur Smith and Wink Martindale, which is the you know, Tennessee's OC and the Ravens DC was great to see Lamar settle down and he just took what they gave him. He got man, I think on the touchdown run he he did get, he got man coverage downfield and they ran a little stunt up front and he just took off. Um and you know, just was the best athlete on the field. And then coming out of the third, I think coming out of second for the second half, the first drive, uh Baltimore just got the ball to the perimeter a lot. Um and just, you know, it was he looked very comfortable. Yeah. For like for the first time in a long time and and I think um, his receivers finally showed up today. Like Hollywood, you know, he finally showed up in a big game. And um, Sneed, he didn't have a lot of drops today, you know, as, as as much as he's had over the last two playoff games. So I think that was nice to see for him. You need those receivers, especially for the Ravens, to play well. And, and that's be something a little bit different for them to see those guys play well in the playoffs. We're going to skip yeah. over. We're just going to say the Saints. I really don't like the Saints. Don't really care too much for the Bay. That game was so aggravating to even think about happening. Like, I was so mad that the Cardinals didn't win last week because I was like, nobody wants to watch the Bears play. No, like, no. we know they're not winning this game. No. <laughs> nobody wants like, to watch. The Saints got the win 21-9. to nine. And it's like when I see the Bears play, it's like, yeah. Whatever. So we're keep moving in that one. Drew Brees had him a day. I'm not telling you his stuff. Oh, I saw a tweet. It was like, it was like, because since the game was on like Nickelodeon, and it was like, if you want the kids to watch the game, why we make them watch the Bears? <laughs> you know, if you want the kids to play football, why would you make them watch the Bears? Like, wait till next week till Patrick Mahomes is playing or or Aaron Rodgers is playing or something like. One of the faces of the league. Nobody's watching the Bears. The Saints get a little bit more love now. My boy, famous James, gets back there. You might see a little bit something different. We're going to keep it moving. The Sunday night game, however, was the Browns versus the Steelers. The Browns did, Mm -hmm. in fact, get the win 48 to 37. Love to see my boy from the Cleveland Browns, the Heisman Trophy winner himself. You love to see the former walk-on. You love to see him getting the big win for the Browns, turning that organization around. I knew how that game started. You know, Pouncey with the bad snap. I was like, that's not a good start. I think Ben Roethlisberger had four turnovers, four interceptions. Four interceptions this game. When you saw that, I think in the first quarter, the score was like, what, 21? It was 28 to zero in the first. <laughs> and I was on the phone with one of my friends. That's a Steelers fan. And you know them Steelers fans hate this. But what, what do you think happened? Like, what was the demise? I heard. What's the guy? Kyle Allen said he says he felt like at the beginning of the year, guys didn't really know how to defend the Steelers, but then defensive coordinators kind of caught up. Uh, what do you think happened in this game? Well, really with the downfall of the Steelers from that undefeated start to where they ended up. Well, um, for one, uh, for starters, they I think going into this game just specifically, and then I then I head back to when there was 11 and 0 when they started to lose. Specifically going into this game, I thought it was a bad idea the previous week to sit the off, I think sit Ben. And I think he was the only guy that sat maybe on offense and I think maybe a couple of the guys, but I just thought that even though they came back against the Colts, there wasn't there wasn't any rhythm to their offense going into this game. Like for the last five weeks, they've kind of been spiraling. They got beat by the Bengals. Um, they barely beat the Colts, you know, after being down 24 to seven. Like, I just thought there was no rhythm to their offense. So sitting them, I thought was an issue just because of that alone. But the the core of their issue, going back to when they started to lose their games, was 
on defense, it hurt that they don't have Bud Dupree out there. They don't have Devin Bush out there. They got hurt, you know, really, really, really mattered, um, which was their D-line and, and their best linebacker at the time. So Devin Bush could cover a little better than Spillane, who we saw get picked on today, is unavailable. And then Bud Dupree was their do-it-all guy for their system. He could, you know, drop in coverage, be a great pass rusher, um, be great backside. He was just great everywhere. He just kind of made their defense whole. As much right. as Mika is important in the back end, but the pre major defense hole on the front with TJ Watt on the other side. So that was the issue. Then the other issue was, I mean, Pittsburgh cannot run the football even if Cleveland gave them a two-man box. Like, it's just that bad up front for Pittsburgh. Um, they been through 68 times today. I saw that. That's an insane amount. times. That is horrible. Yeah. <laughs> James Conner rushed. 11 times and had a total of 37 rushing yards. Like, like they cannot run the football, and it's not a skill position thing. It's just flat out the offensive line got whipped all year long. And people at first was understanding that, like, hey, Pittsburgh's not really running the football. They're they're using their passing game as an extension of the run game just by, you know, short three-yard pass, try to get five. You know, two-yard pass, try to get four. Stuff like that, the simulator run game, because they couldn't do it, and it's been because they have not had Mike Munchak, who was a great offensive line coach for the last two years. And we've seen over the last two years why Pittsburgh cannot run the ball. Their offensive line coach has been gone, and it's the same, you know, guys up front, but coaches do matter in this league. And, <laughs> and you know, it's been evident that the offensive line has not been the same since Munchak has departed. So, and so that's yeah, kind of And I think, like I said this before, I feel like the Browns kind of came to this game like, y'all, let's go get it. I feel like the Steelers were kind of more so in survival mode. And you can even tell a little bit by with the little bit of clip that uh, the NFL was at NBC showed. And it just seemed like the Browns were just ready to come out there and win this game. But you know what? Since we're talking about this real quick, I kind of want to go with you with uh, uh, the game for next week. And just give me your quick pick real quick. We got Ravens versus the Bills. Ravens. Got them, I got them winning out the AFC, so I got to keep. I got to keep with it. I'm going to go with the Bills on that one. I'm going to go with the Bills. I want to see what uh, my boy uh, uh, Josh Allen has in store. We got Cleveland versus Kansas City. Uh, See, this is tough because I've been on the record all year saying Cleveland could give Kansas City a run for their money. Yes. But I ain't picking against Kansas City. (laughs) So I'm going to pick Kansas City. But but don't be surprised if this game is close going into the fourth or at least at the end. Do not be surprised at all, especially if they get Denzel Ward back. Do not be surprised at all. If Baker can pull off a win against Patrick Mahomes, Baker going to be on a whole nother level. Okay, we're going to keep moving. Tampa Bay versus the Steelers. I mean, no, Tampa Bay versus the Saints. What we got? Saints going to run them off the field, Saints. Saints defense comes to play, Beast Brady. Boy, they're going to kill them. <laughs> they gonna kill. I think the Saints going to kill them, man. Last but not least, Green Bay versus the Rams. I I would pick – I really would pick the Rams, but there's just – there's a legit thing with, with a team being a dome team or a warm-weather team, and L.A. traveling up to that Wisconsin below freezing weather and Aaron Rodgers being the man he is, you know, playing at Lambeau, I'm, I have to pick Green Bay. I have to pick Green Bay. <laughs> I feel like Green Bay is notorious for losing this kind of game. 
And so Jalen, so we got Jalen Ramsey following Devontae Adams. A real number one receiver. Now, now look, now we'll get a legit one-on-one. <laughs> this will be a legit one v one. Oh, we're gonna be but this game will be but this game just like the previous one will be winning the trenches. And a quick note is Aaron Rodgers' top protector is out for the year with the 20 ACL with David Bakhtiari tearing his ACL in practice. So that could be a really huge um issue for Green Bay. Well, it will be an issue. I just see it's coming out that they can find a way to solve the problem or, or at least or at least hold the water in the pipe for that time. So uh yeah, that's, that's the Jared Goff beating Aaron Rodgers with the bad thumb. I'm going with Green Bay in that one. Wolford, if he's able. What'd you say? See, I'll start Wolford if he's available. If Wolford's neck is fine, we're starting Wolford. Yeah, I saw that they cart him off and they took him to the hospital, but hopefully he'll be all right. But hey, let's, let's, what'd you say? I think he'll be fine. I think he'll be fine. All right. Probably maybe just precautionary. Okay, uh, and Jamal Adams provided the hit. Of course, Jamal Adams provided the hit to put the boy. I mean, it was a, it wasn't a bad hit though. It just, it just happened. I mean, it's bang bang. It's not as a bad hit, but I'm just saying, if there was gonna be a guy to hit him, and speaking of which, there's gonna be Jamal. Yeah, it's Jamal. (laughs) And you know what? We're gonna do a quick equipment check. Did you see Cooper Cup's cleats? Those cleats he had on was hard, and Jamal Adams had on the black Jordans, didn't even put the blue ones on. Jamal yeah. Adams is everything that a Jordan athlete is. Every played, single bit of it. What'd you say? He, tore, he played that game with a torn labrum and broken fingers. That is that is a Jordan athlete for you. Sheesh. If you can walk, you are playing. <laughs> <laughs> you if you can stand, you are going to play in that game. Hey, so I'm just going to switch gears here real quickly to Deshaun. Y'all know big Texans. I'm not a big Texans fan. I'm a big Deshaun fan. Just same thing with the Lakers whenever he was, I mean, with uh, LeBron James when he was in Cleveland. Yeah, I'm a follower of Deshaun Watson. He's very <laughs> unhappy. Uh, they just, they hired Nick Casario, the Patriots old director of player personnel. Yeah. Uh, they hired him to be the Texas new general manager. Deshaun Watson was told that he was going to have an input in the new head coach and general manager. He feels that this is not the case. A lot of people are talking about him potentially going to Jacksonville or Miami. Do you think there's a, even the slightest chance this could potentially happen? Uh, it's tough because I really want Deshaun to get up out of Houston. But at the end of the day, he has a no-trade clause that he have to waive first. See, so he had to you know, formally – request a trade and waive that thing first. And then after that, the process is, well, we still have in the contract for three years, for three more years. And I, I just don't see a scenario where Deshaun is he legit says, I'm not showing up, I'm not playing, and he sacrifices his money, do I see him getting traded? So I just don't know exactly how – I don't see his avenue out of Houston at this point. Like, I get people want to be traded, but I don't know a team – well, one thing, I, Deshaun Watson to me – for the Texans is like untradeable because there's no team that can give you enough assets to trade for what you're about to give them. (laughs) So it's like, and then along with that, his contract, the amount of money he would miss out on if he was to sit out, you know, and, and, you know, uh, boycott, I guess, playing, unless he was to get traded, it would just be very tough for him to do financially to make that decision. So I think he'd end up playing, but he'd have to make a lot of Carson Wentz, like maybe noise to maybe get traded. Um, so I, I think the only scenario that I saw that might that might make sense is kind of like I guess Houston getting the draft pick back from Miami. Yeah, it, because because at that point you're putting yourself in a position to at least you know draft a guy you think can be your franchise quarterback because you have you have like four of them in the first round I think that you can go this year. Um, 
you know, with, you know, Wilson, Lawrence, Fields, and, and Lance. So if, if you feel like one of those guys can be your guy and you can get equal value for trading Deshaun to Miami, then, and, you know, something else for it, then I guess go for it. But at this point, I just, I just don't see the avenue out. That might be the only one that could happen because Jacksonville's going to take Lawrence. Uh, the Jets, why would you trade for Deshaun? You have Sam Darnold. I don't know. So you hearing the noise, Urban Meyer potentially to the to Jacksonville? Oh yeah, that's that's pretty much a done deal. I feel like at this point, <laughs> I feel like once that started, that's it's the done deal. He's he's gonna be in Jacksonville. And you don't think there's anything potentially with as much resources as Urban Meyer's had to Ohio State that he takes Justin Fields instead of Trevor Lawrence? Mm, no, because Urban Urban still never coached Justin. You know what I mean? Like Urban Urban coached up Dwayne Haskins, but Justin came. Urban got Justin to get to go to Ohio State. But Justin was still a Ryan Day's guy. Yeah. But Ryan Day was the guy to, to, you know, actually play him. And plus, I think even Urban Meyer knows there's no way I can take Justin Fields over Trevor Lawrence. Like, you just can't you just can't pass up on that. Especially with them saying that Trevor Lawrence is like one of these Andrew Lux or the John Elway guys. Like, they're kind of these can't-miss prospects. So, yeah. we're going to see what happens with that. Y'all, we're going to switch gears to college football here real quickly. Y'all know I've been rolling with the Buckeyes all year. They will play Alabama at 8 o'clock Eastern time, which means kickoff probably about 8-10 on Monday, I'm going to drop an episode Monday night that will come right afterward, just evaluate what happens in the game. Tell me who do you think wins and what do you think happens? Alabama wins this national title game. They've been my pick all year. Uh, I Especially if uh, if they, they keep playing, they keep pulling people's leg with this Jalen Waddle game time decision. And he if he run out on that field, it's a wrap. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care if he had 50, 60, whatever. If Jalen Waddle walks out on that field, it is a it's a done deal. But um I just think Alabama's the most complete team. Um Najee Harris has had a, a not even a quiet great year. He's had a really great year. It's just that Devontae Smith's year has been so great that it's kind of been overshadowed a little bit. Um, but Najee Harris is great. Al, uh, Alabama's offensive line, I think will control the line of scrimmage for him. Um, Devontae Smith will win his will win his battles. I have no doubt in my mind about that. And then defensively, uh, Chris Olave is an issue, of course, but Patrick Sertan is another issue. So <laughs> that may be the cancel out. That may be what cancels out. Um, I know you could probably say the same for Sean Wade, but I don't know. Sean Wade and Devontae Smith, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I think Devontae Smith qualifies an issue type of process. I think, yeah, I don't think he qualifies an issue with Devontae Smith. The Buckeyes. Yeah, he's the issue for the Buckeyes this year. He's not in the issue for opposing teams. Yeah. So I just think – I think Ohio State is just more complete. I mean, Ohio State, uh, Alabama is just more complete. Um, and they're going to, you know, slowly but steadily kind of pull away as the game goes along. I think it will be, you know, very competitive. But, you know, it just – Alabama will just make more plays in Ohio State. And I think Phil's will play a decent game. It's just – I just think his team around him – I'm not going to say they're going to let him down. They're just not going to be able to do enough to win. So – Okay, so our path for the Ohio State victory, our defensive line has to get home. They have to get home. They have to put a lot of pressure on them. We got it. Chris Olave's got a win against Patrick Sertain. I heard some analysts said it really would. It's like, we're not throwing it to Patrick too much, but when we do, we need completions. Maybe we get his confidence down. I don't know. Also, <laughs> we have one of the best defenses against the rush. I think we're like top three. 
So, hey, if we can win up front, our linebackers can fill holes, maybe we have a chance. It is Najee Harris, so he kind of upgrades this thing. Look, we haven't faced a back quite that good. Obviously, we need Trey Sermon to play another great – go ahead and give me another 300-yard-plus game. <laughs> we, we, we're going to need a lot to go right, but I'm keeping the faith. Buckeyes, uh, Justin Fields, uh, God, I just hope he doesn't get hit too much early and often because if he gets hit a lot – and then I don't even know how much of a willing runner he's going to be in this game knowing that he's nursing – whatever rib injuries he has had. So really looking forward to that game. I'm going Buckeyes. Hey, you never know, man. You might get the OC curse. You know, every time Bama switches the OC or, he, or they announce he's going to go somewhere else right before the title game, something bad happens. So <laughs> point. We'll, see. we'll see. We'll start going to Texas. We'll see if y'all get the OC curse to go y'all way. Because I heard that him saying that whenever he has some free time when preparing for this game, he's take, you know taking a look at Texas and stuff. And that's just that's a heck of a thing to do in your free time. Prepare to be going to the University of Texas where, you know, yeah. you're getting mail and DMs and you're, we're trying to partially kind of look and get a staff going and recruit and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So we're going to see what happens. I need to win for the Buckeyes. So this would this would complete the journey. Hey, we're going to go, though, to the team up north. I guess what they call them. Michigan hiring Jim Harborough with four year extension has an incentive lace contract, but they, he has taken a pay cut. Ohio State fans were so excited by this by this signing. From it was concerning. It's like they're like, oh yeah, we because Jim Harbaugh just cannot beat Ohio State and can barely beat Michigan State. So did you think it was a good extension? You think it was a good move, giving the extension, taking the pay cut down a little bit, and making it more a little uh, incentive based contract? I think it's going to sound crazy, but I actually think it's a good move. Okay. Reason being because Michigan's in a position where it's almost like. Harbaugh, I don't want to say Harbaugh, just Michigan football over the past years, even before Harbaugh got there, has been in such a like a downward, not a downward spiral, because they've been they've had a good football team, but they haven't been at the pinnacle for so long that like what coach are you really gonna pull to come up there and uh, compete against Ohio State? Because the one thing coaches don't want to do is have to play Ohio State mandatorily every single year. Like nobody yeah. wants that, like unless you're from Michigan. Like nobody actually wants to have to play Ohio State once a year. <laughs> so it's like um and Harbaugh's a dude where guys know that Harbaugh's going to be there because he loves Michigan. And at some point in time, you kind of hope as a as a um, university that, like, that love for that school is going to pull players that want to love it just as much as him and that you're going to have a year like, like at LSU where, you know, they just – it just all comes together because you've had people there for so long. But but making it more incentive-based and, and – and lowering his buyout for if they do have to fire him does help the university at the same time because if they do end up firing him, you have to worry about paying them as much money out the door, and it will give you more time to give more money to a bigger coach if you feel like that guy can be the guy to, you know, push you forward. So I think it's actually a good deal um, for both sides. And even if he gets fired, he'll go back to the league anyway because Harbaugh's still a good NFL coach in my opinion. Yeah, he, he really knows how to build a program. And, like, even whenever he wasn't at Michigan, they were, like, he kind of boosted them to another level. They just can't win the big games. Yeah. All right, y'all, we're going to the University of South Carolina. We're going to go through players first, and then we're going to hit coaches. Coaches hold that discussion. So Nick News is returning. Jamie Robinson is going to Florida State. He will join Kier Thomas, who is a defense alignment for the University of South Carolina. So they're going to go down there and wreak havoc in ACC Atlantic. Not really. Uh, you got John. They're going to Florida State. I mean, they might they might wreak havoc with nine losses. Of, you know, okay, let me stop. <laughs> got John Dixon, who is another one of the players of the defensive backfield, he will be going to the he'll be going to Penn State. So I looked, at, I saw something on Twitter. It's a really good point. South Carolina will have a completely new defensive backfield from last year, with the exception of Cam 
Cam Smith. Besides yeah, that, I feel like you're not going to be able to really – Oh, that's – what you say? I think Jalen Foster should be back too, I think. Yeah, yeah. He went to Burns High School, right? I have no clue, but he played really well last year in my opinion, so. Well, those two will be those the vet guys that you've seen before. Colin Hill is now gone. Ryan Halinski is now gone. Jay Urich is now graduated. Dak Joyner is returning to carry on. I think at wide receiver. So that quarterback room is literally Luke Dottie, Colton Gauthier. Yeah, Gauthier, yeah, Colton Gauthier. Three star from Georgia, uh, from the state of Georgia. He's a high school recruit. And whatever walk-ons are in that room, that is insane the amount of quarterbacks that have left this program in one year. Do you think there's any chance that with the Beamer coming in, he says, Dak Joyner, we've seen you play in high school. You're an elite 11 quarterback. We want you to come back and play quarterback. Or do you think they're just going to let him roll it, rock and roll the wide receiver? I would hope so. I mean, <laughs> the man literally, like, people forget, you don't get invited to elite 11s for no reason. Like, unless you can throw the football, you're not going up there to Oregon or wherever they have the thing yet. You're not going. Um, and I think he's too dynamic of a of a playmaker where we've seen too many offenses use people like him similarly. At least at least give the guy a shot the way, you know, Florida used Emory Jones last year with Kyle Trask. You want to start Doty or you want to start Gauthier, whoever, fine. But at least bring in the dude like the carry on that I think is I think he can make every throw in the field. Um, you know, and there's and even when he went to the eleven camp, there's been people at the camp that said because he has the, you know, just the physical gifts and tools, he can make those that other people just can't make. Um, so I'd like to see him get another shot, you know, at, at the quarterback position. Um, he was the last person on planet earth to beat Dutch Fork high school. <laughs> I know that sounds like, Oh, he beat high school. No Dutch Fork high school has won the last three state titles. He's been the last, he's the last human on planet earth to beat that team there and beat, the living crap out of him. I was at the game. All right. Like the carry on joiner is just, he's just that dynamic. And I wanted him to get another shot at quarterback. Um, I really think, and even when he uh, played QB a couple of times, his freshman and sophomore year, when he came in the late end games or um, like the Georgia game where he didn't, you know, he didn't lose him the game. He did what he had to do to win the game. He's played pretty well. He's made, you know, good throws. Um, of course can escape the pocket with his feet, um, knows how to get down, all that stuff. Like I, I just really think he, he could still be a very dynamic college quarterback. So, I, I just wonder with him as much as they've had kind of switched him back and forth, like the d- development of the position. And I yeah. think he's in what his junior year, I think at this point. So it's like just get, get him out of position and let him rock and roll with him. And now that hopefully he'll have spring practice and all that stuff. So hopefully he'll be able to like expand in it. But man, at his career at Carolina, he's done play receiver, just kick return, quarterback. And Texas AM was the game I thought he started playing well in. I think that was like must have been two years ago when Brian Edwards was still here. What'd you say? I think I was a sophomore. I think I was his freshman year when they went to AM, when they went to AM. So I think yeah, I was, he got knocked out. Yeah, I think, yeah. But he was playing pretty well in that game, though. That's what I was saying. It just happened he got injured and that kind of ended that. All right, but now let's talk about these this coaching staff. Luke Day will be the new strength and conditioning coach. He comes from Marshall. I didn't mind the guy from Ole Miss last year. I really didn't, but I guess, you know, that kind of how it goes. You see Justin Stepp is stepped in as the wide receiver coach. He's from Pillion, South Carolina, went to Furman. Brother coached at Dreer, right? Yeah, he coached at Dreer and uh, Lexington High School. Actually, he took Lexington High School to the state title game uh, one of his years there, and now he's the tight end. And now his brother's the tight end coach at Georgia State, so football runs in that family. <laughs> and he spent time at SMU. When I went on a visit there, he was the wide receivers coach, coaching up the likes of Cortland Sutton, 
and Trey Quinn. I don't know if you remember Trey Quinn. He was the white boy receiver. He played with Washington for a minute, but he went, he started off at LSU, transferred down to SMU and had a great career. So I think that's a great pickup. And he's an in-state guy too. Yeah. So yeah. now we're going to go to Mike Bobo has, will be taking his talents to Auburn. <laughs> T-Rob, the University of the South Carolina's defensive coordinator from last year, will go to Miami as a DB coach. So he is officially probably broken up with a former head coach of the University of South Carolina. Gosh, it ain't been a better man. I'm about to forget his name. It's a come and go business. You have Clayton White, who is coming from Western Kentucky, will be the new University of South Carolina defensive coordinator. He's been nominated three times as the Broyles Award winner. Nominated, he didn't win the award, which goes to the best assistant coach in college football. You know anything about uh, Clayton White? Uh, I know he runs a very multiple defense. Uh, he kind of bases out of out of a four-two-five, or you know, got like four-two. You got four down linemen. Uh, you know, two linebackers or whoever you want in the box. There, you don't have to be a linebacker, just whatever you want in the box. And then uh, usually five DBs uh, rotating around. Um, so he's very multiple with his, you know, his personnel and front. So I think that could make for you know just maximizing talents very well. It could, it could, and it could translate to a team that like. Maybe doesn't know what the roles are, and maybe feels like they could have been misused. Like, so now we got a situation where Birch is back on the line of scrimmage doing what he does best, which is pass rushing. Um, and can wreak havoc there. And I think Sanders could be a really good, you know, one technique with Pickens being the three technique. And um, I forget who's gonna be the guy on the other side. Yeah, I mean, Tonka Hemingway could have a really good, you know, year in this system too. I think I think the D line is gonna really flourish next year under this. So. There's somebody else coming back on that defensive line. Um, can I think of his name? Uh, Jabari. Jabari. Uh, Jabari. Jabari, too. Yeah. I've seen him. He used to always train a lot with Kinlaw at Apex. That's why I used to see him a lot. He's a little bit small, a little much smaller than Kinlaw, but what's that? It's not saying too much. Clayton White also, I think they said he had 20 years of experience coaching. So for whoever cares about that. Also, the new offensive coordinator, <laughs> the new offensive coordinator, Marcus Satterfield. Will is coming from the Panthers organization, right? Yeah, yeah. He'll, I think he's the offensive line coach of the Panthers. So he'll be the offensive coordinator and the quarterbacks coach. Meanwhile, they will keep Connor Shaw on the staff. And you were talking about Birch. Birch's head coach, Jordan Birch, head coach, old head coach, will be the tight ends coach. If I'm not mistaken, you know anything about Marcus Satterfield? Um, I don't really know a lot. I know he. Uh, I think he was an OC at some school i can't remember the school's name right now but he has been with matt rule um who's developed you know great programs over at temple and baylor before you know going to the nfl with him as well um so he clearly understands or or you would think he will understand what it would take to uh, build a winning and successful uh culture and program um also being that he was the co-office line coach for the panthers i think that helps him as an oc because like when you're when you work with the offensive line you kind of understand what it takes up front to to be successful on offense because it's still everything still starts up there. So like maybe we get into a slump about, you know, how to how to get my O line going. The struggling, you you might, you know, know some stuff or some tips and tricks of how to get those guys in the rhythm, um, blocking wise and that can open up your offense. So I think, you know, I think it's uh might be the right time for him to become an OC. Uh just being that he's been under uh, a great leader and communicated the last, you know, whatever of his career, going with rule from Temple to Baylor to the Panthers. So I think it could work out. I think it could work out. 
you notice Shane Beamer has, has relied a lot on, it seems like his relationships and stuff to get these coaches. And a lot of guys and people around Columbia kind of know about, like, hmm, that guy's kind of interesting. Maybe he played high school football here. Maybe he grew up here. And he's definitely gone back and get those guys. So do you, what are you kind of expecting in his first year? Uh, I expect at least a bowl game. Um, still got to, you know, still got to, you know, uh, get through the, the growing pains. Of, it'll be his first year as a head coach. So, uh, you have to see, you know, how well he does with managing the game, stuff like that. But I think we'll at least get a bowl game next year. That's I think that should be that should be the start. You know, we start with getting back, winning, win the bowl game, or get to a bowl game, win the bowl game, and then we can start to expand on, you know, how we're building from there. So that's my that's, that's what I was thinking. It's like okay, the fan base has the energy, but it's just kind of like reestablishing a culture in year one here. And it's like okay, give the recruits. I mean, obviously you have the facilities and stuff like that, but more than the facilities, give the recruits like a reason to be like, okay, yeah, there are positive things going on at USC. Show yeah. some growth there, and then from there, what they say, build it and they'll come. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's kind of what we're doing. We're taking that philosophy to Gamecock football. So y'all, that is all we have for y'all on this week's episodes. Always appreciate Sterling coming on. Sterling, I was about to say, tell him your Instagram account, but I'm just going to go ahead and put it on the bio thing. You got anything else? I just want to give a shout-out to the uh, USC women's basketball team. Uh, they went on the road, beat a top-10 Kentucky team. Um, with the, I mean, they got a tough player, Ryan Howard. I mean, she is she is tough. Like, But USC came off of – they came off of um, – three days without practice uh, because they had a false positive. So they couldn't practice for three days, had to travel. Got, I think the call yesterday at like 530, which would have been like Saturday night at 530, whatever, doesn't want to play. Had to hop on the plane, go to Kentucky to play a really tough team. Was down nine at half and um, Aaliyah Boston took over basically the second half of that game. So big shout out to them going on the road, getting a big win against a really good team. Yeah, final score was 75 to 70. My sister told me about this, and I was like, man, I remember whenever Tennessee, back when Candace Parker and they were playing oh, was like the, the second best team in the SEC, I guess that would be in the East in women's basketball. Is uh, Tennessee still a good team, or are they not what they used to be? Uh, they're not. They're, they're still trying to get back to that point. I think they, they fired their head coach, I think, last year, yeah. uh, the one that succeeded Pat Summit because things just wasn't working out there. But um, I, think they'll, I think they're on the right track maybe. But it's it's definitely not Tennessee. It's the SEC is so good now with women's basketball. Like you got we got of course us South Carolina. Um, would have been a national championship. Would have would have been yep. a national champions last year. Let's just be honest. I'm sorry. We was winning that chip last year. Oregon fans. It wasn't happening. But um, <laughs> yeah, South Carolina, uh, Mississippi State now has a South, old South Carolina assistant with Nikki McCray. Um, Kentucky's really good. Look like uh, Texas A&M is undefeated right now. Yeah, A&M is a good team, too. Like, the SEC and women's basketball is really good right now. So, um, it's not just it's not just the Tennessee and Candace Parker show no more. It's it's a lot of teams in the SEC that's playing really good ball on the side. So, Jeez, shout out to Gamecocks. Hopefully they can stay COVID-free and keep winning. Yeah, so. All right, that's all we have for y'all. Thanks for listening. Peace. Thought the money make you happy, it don't make you different. I start to see that shit myself when I got a couple million. Roll through the mud, I can't lie, seen too much. Real steppers outside, they're squeezing bust. I told my brother, have some patience and your day will come. Now he's sitting in the county jail and he ain't got no bun. You can't walk inside my shoes like a sneaker punk. Overcome obstacles and they still come. I 
I was trying to make a way out.